I don't know about you, but I like to feel supported. I like to feel like somebody has my back, my six. Uh, so, somebody is there that I can talk to, listen to what I have to say and not judge me. Um, and that's why I love going to BetterHelp.com. That's right. BetterHelp.com has therapists from all around the world that can help you within the next 48 hours. I don't know if you talk to anybody trying to find a therapist, but it takes a while to, to find one nowadays. Every, everybody's getting, that's right, everybody is getting therapy right now. So don't get left out. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. Enjoy your 10% off now because we go to the gym to get, you know, work on our bodies. We got to go somewhere to work on our mental health. BetterHelp.com is that place. That's where you find your person to share with, to talk to, to feel supported. BetterHelp.com. That's the way to go. B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P. Boom, done. Let's wrap. Your progress can start today. No need to stay stuck any longer. No need to feel alone or ashamed. You can feel loved and supported. Go to betterhelp.com. Now, mind you, it's not a crisis. It's not a crisis hotline. You call 988 or any of those 1-800-273-TALK or any of those phone numbers for that. But you go to BetterHelp.com where you want to find somebody who can go on a journey with you, who can listen to you and guide you and help you get unstuck and achieve your goals. BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. Enjoy your 10% off now. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is comedian father, writer, actor, James Schrader. Uh, James, welcome to the podcast, brother. Thanks for having me, Leo. I'm excited to be here. This is, uh, I didn't know, I, you know, I feel bad. I didn't realize it was called Before You Kill Yourself, which is a wonderful name. Uh, so yeah, I'm, ex- uh, I'm excited to be here and uh, talk mental health. I think that's um, something, unfortunately, everyone thinks, I don't want to say everyone, I think everyone thinks they either suffer it alone or it's not, I don't know, it's been stigmatized forever. So uh, I love it. I love it. Let's get to it. Yeah, it it is true. So many people do think that they're going through it alone, which is why people don't even share when they're in despair. I I saw on your Instagram that sailing and surfing are two of the things that seems to help ground you or get you reconnected. Tell me more about that. I, it's the kind of thing, it took me a long time to realize why I enjoyed it so much. Like I grew up, um, my dad had an airplane and I grew up in like kind of an aviation family. And um, so I, I flew by age 10, and I promise this will all make sense. By age 10, my dad had taught us how to land a plane. By 14, I had soloed in a glider. Um, I had sailed in the summers with an uncle some. And, uh, and then now at age 40, uh, I haven't been flying in a while because there's, you understand there's no money in comedy for flying. Um, but uh, the sailing and the surfing have really been a, a something I've been getting back into where it's, and I think flying, the reason why I brought that up is it is an activity that forces you to be in 100% present. And it does two things in that one, you're present because you are, you know, on a sailboat, you're harnessing the wind, you're trimming sails, you're steering the boat, every 
little shiver of the boat is telling you something that if you don't listen to could be catastrophic could you know if like i sail um uh catamarans like i had a, a an 18 foot hobie cat for a long time in florida and that's the kind of thing where like if you're not paying attention the wind will blow you right over you will flip over and everyone's in the water and lunch is gone like so it's like i said it's a it's an activity that forces you to be 100 present surfing is the same you paddle as soon as you catch the wave. If you are not 100% in tune with what's happening, you're not on the board anymore. You're not surfing. So I, I think that's very healthy. I think it's meditative. And I think because it forces you, and I kind of put tattoos in that category too. I only, I've, I have one tattoo. Uh, I've never seen anything in my life that I thought I would want on my body forever. But I was going through kind of a rough time. I had a bunch of anxiety about some stuff and I realized that, um, that I just should have been, I, I kind of did some work. I went to the beach and I did some work and, and I just thought through all these things that were freaking me out and I was scared of. And I realized that they were the exact things I should be grateful for. And I went and got myself a single blue dot of a tattoo. That's my pale blue dot. It's a, uh, you know, if you've heard that term in the book. Um, uh, and now I can't think of his name. I'll think of it in a second. But he was a fly. He was a astrophysicist, philosopher guy, um, and it's about like the Earth is just this pale blue dot in the infinite blackness. Like none of this matters. So be grateful, and it's my literal gratefulness button. And I realized in the the minute it took to get that tiny blue dot that like, oh, I get this now. I get why people have full sleeves. I get why people sit for an hour because it forces you to meditate because there is absolutely nothing else you can concentrate on besides this pain, if that makes sense. So I think sailing and all that, it's like, it's a, it's a situation where you are 100% in tune with the moment, because if you're not, it could be catastrophic flying an airplane, sailing a sailboat, you know, surfing. And uh, so that's, I definitely feel that, that those activities ground me in that sense. Yeah, I, I love it. You know, finding calm in the chaos, right? Or in the catastrophe, it sounds like. And, you know, I I took a um, helicopter flying lesson, just one. And you're absolutely right. The reason why I haven't gone back is because of how present you have to be. And I, I'm just like, I don't trust myself to be in a helicopter uh, knowing that, like, because it's not like a plane, right? Where, like, a plane in some planes, like, you can put on automatic pilot, get up, go take a piss, come back. But, like, well, it, I mean, you're not doing that, you're not, you're yeah. not leaving the controls. But, but I will what, say, do you know how many, to, you know, how many planes I've been on? I see the pilot, like, in the bathroom, another pilot, there's another pilot up there, there's another guy that's fully qualified. Have you but not even seen that, a Mission what? Impossible movie? How many times? <laughs> As Tom Cruise been flying a plane, gotten up to fight three guys and right. then come back and then I mean, somehow land a plane safely. I mean, it's doable. You're right. But but I, I understand your take. Like helicopters are definitely different. Helicopters are very helicopters are balancing like a broomstick in your hand. Like you're constantly it's every little adjustment is necessary where airplanes like you get them trimmed out. You can pretty much take your hands off and it'll keep going. But um. But yeah, I mean, so you felt that you got in there and you realized that like you got one hand on the yo or the stick and the other one on the collective and the throttle. And you're like, oh, literally, I'm constantly in this dance of attention. And yeah, you drift a little bit. And 
So tell me more about this anxiety that led to the tattoo. What was going on in your life that you're like, oh, I need this gratefulness button. I hate this sounds weird. And I I I feel I hate this. Uh, I hate success. Success was happening. I have the past couple of years because of like the 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 ad the couple of advertisements I've done and, and the, the commercial writing and stuff, like things have been actually pretty good. Like I've I've sec- create built a little security into my life. Um, my kid is fine. I'm fine. I'm out of debt. We, you know, we're, we're, we're not rich, but we are fine. Like I, I still drive my 2006 Toyota Tacoma. Like that's a weird thing. It's a weird thing to talk about because it's success in the sense of like, compared to 99.9% of the planet, I'm filthy rich compared to most people in San Diego. I can't buy a house. I'm paying rent. I'm driving my 06, you know, but like, we're fine. But Things felt like, okay, we're doing commercials, comedy's growing, these things are happening, like, you know, you've gotten a couple offers or, you know, possible opportunities that might be even bigger, and, and, you know, a couple of those went away, and then that was like, oh, like, none of this is guaranteed, and then I started freaking out, like, how, well, what's, it's kind of the moment, I remember when I was 25, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. And it was a similar, not similar. It was a moment in my life where like, I just got out of college. I was working a job. Things were good. And then a phone call. And that's what kind of scared me. It's like, oh, things are good. What's about to happen? And the anxiety of like, how am I going to screw this up? When's the other shoe going to drop? Like, this could all go away tomorrow. How am I going to support my kid if it does? How am I going to support our life? What's my next move? And all of a sudden, all these things that like is weirdly like when you're just a a struggling comic that all you do is tell jokes at night and you're hoping to build that into a thing like you don't worry about if this goes away because there's nothing to go away. And now all of a sudden, like we're good, like we're we're in a good place and my kids healthy and adorable and smart and we're having fun. And it just all kind of built up to like how are you either going to screw this up or what horrible thing is about to happen? You know, is your mom going to die now? Is your kid going to get hurt? Are you going to find out you have cancer like your dad did? Are you going to, you know, what's the thing that's going to ruin everything? And it just, it got to the point where like, it was keeping me up at night and I couldn't sleep. And I was like scared of the good. And it took, it took, uh, it took the proper dose of psychedelic mushrooms and a walk to the beach and about an hour and a half looking at the most beautiful sunset I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I did this, this whole, I mean, the whole evening was fully with intent. Like I had planned it. My, my daughter was at her mom's and I was, I literally had like kind of cleansed myself through diet and hydrated a bunch and was like, tonight, this is what's happening. I'm taking this exact dose an hour before sunset. I will walk to the beach. I will be dressed in a way that I am good for the adventure. Wherever this walk takes me is where it will go. And I have an intent of what I'm going to work through and the things I need to think about. And, and that was a, that was a beautiful sunset. And kind of tough two hours, it was probably about two hours, hour and a half full peak, where it was really emotional. 
It was really beautiful. And I came out the other side realizing that like, this is amazing. Like everything I'm worried about, I should be grateful for. And if it goes away, we'll be fine just like we were before it got here. Yes, will it be harder? Sure, it could be. Yes, will we have less? Possibly. But we'll get through it because we got here. So just trust in that. And then that became my little gratefulness dot where every now and then I just give myself a little push of the button to remind myself that I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And this is amazing. And my kids healthy. Nothing else matters. So that was uh, that was how that came about. I love that. Tell me more about this because there's so much talk now about psychedelics, right? Uh, we have, there's a new Netflix documentary mm -hmm. about psychedelics. So many books, a lot of podcasts, episodes are talking about it. Even, you know, you got Stanford professors. Oh yeah. They're starting to finally be allowed to study stuff again. And they're realizing that like, oh wow, if we really do this with intent, and, and I'm talking from taking in the whole loose spectrum of everything like you just mentioned. Like, I have, I don't have a ton of experience. I think my total experience with, with um, psilocybin mushrooms is, I think that was my fourth time ever. Um, and before, and most of them had been, the two of them had been pretty small doses, more just like, just kind of put yourself at peace. Everything's a little sharper. The colors are a little prettier. The sound is a little sharper. The first dose was, was I, I saw the energy field in the sky and I was with a person that I, that I was in love with and I cared about. And we connected in a way that was beautiful. And, um, I got over my fear of spiders <laughs> at night. And also like, I've always had a weird thing with like my own blood. And I think I, I got over that that night. It was just something that popped up. I, I didn't go into that with intent. That was more like the first time was just kind of a recreational, won't this be fun kind of thing. Um, but knowing and hearing like everything you mentioned and just that like, oh, if you really set intention, you, this is powerful and you can, you can rework the, the building blocks that put you where you are if you're willing to. And that was why I, I planned that night the way I did. And, um, and it's intense. It's a lot. It's something that, that I, I was scared to do for a while was I, I had wanted, Sorry, I had known that I like, I, I called it like a, like an ego reset or just a reset. I'd known I wanted to do it for a while, but I kept pushing it off. Cause I was like, this could be scary. Like, this could be the thing that sends that ruins everything. <laughs> Talking about it right now is a little like, should I be saying that I went and did mushrooms on the beach? But you know what? I did. And it helped. And I'm in a better place for it. And um, I don't think it's something that, it, that you should just go do. I think it's something that it, it, um, you should talk to somebody that has a history with it and experience with it. Or now, I mean, now there's a whole ketamine movement that I know people are doing with therapists. And I think that's, I have a, a couple of friends that have done ketamine treatments and they talk about those being wild rides that really helped. Um, and it makes sense. Like, you know, you, you, it's called doing the work for a reason, whether it's sitting on the couch and actually talking through all the trauma or the things in your life or letting the psychedelics do what they do and letting your brain find the path itself. It's, it's going to be work. 
which may be hard and a little scary and definitely emotional at times. So um, I, I definitely recommend it to to people that feel they're ready. I don't think you should be in a horrible place in your life to do it. I think you kind of be need to be definitely comfortable, I think, with who you are. I don't know, because I've heard people, I got into it late. I remember having friends in college that were like doing mushrooms and that, you know, they're all fine now. And it's like, they were doing it more recreationally. But a few of them definitely were like, oh, I had a bad trip and it was scary. And I thought it was never going to end and that, it, you know, um, so I don't wish that upon anybody, but I don't know. It, the, the, the journey helped me. I know that. So I think there's merit. Tell me, you said set an intention. What does that sound? What did that sound like for you at the time? Because we always at hear the set my, an intention. What is my like? intention that night that I set before I consumed um, was that I know I have anxiety about these things. I know these things that that aren't tangible, but they're in my head. They are affecting my ability to move forward they are affecting my sleep they are affecting maybe the chances i'm willing to take comedically career-wise as a parent even um and i i didn't like that i didn't like that some weird the the ifs the what ifs were steering my course or hindering my course and i didn't like it and so I said, all right, we are going to go on this journey with the intent of thinking and experiencing all the what ifs and working through what, how, what, how bad is that what if? What could happen in that what if? What should, you know, what, how should I be looking at this different? What am I not seeing? And, and I, I had a small list of, of like the things that were really like my top list of like the stuff I wanted to work through. And I had that in my little notebook in my pocket when I was sitting at the beach, looking at the water at the sunset, I pulled it out and I just kind of read them and looked through them. And then I sat there and some of it, my eyes were open. Some of it, my eyes were closed, both of which had the most beautiful visual um, fractal elements of color and light and love and, and, this sounds hippy dippy and weird, but like there, as people walked by, you could see the glow of people. You could see the energy of the world. And, it, you know, it's the stereotypical like we're all one. It's all energy, man. Like everything's beautiful. Yeah, it really kind of is. So grab a hold because there's a lot of love and a lot of energy to be had. And it's there. And it's easy to put your own wall up. And I think that's what this really did is it took down the wall of like, we're fine. I'm fine. My daughter and I are fine. Everything could come crashing down tomorrow. And besides like downsizing, like I'm at my office right now. I only can afford an office because of the work I've done. But this is like my creative space that allows me to create content and do the things I love. You can see like I have radio control airplanes, part of my hobbies. I've got whatever, you know, the ring light to make content, you know, like. This is where I can do that because I live in a tiny 286 square foot studio apartment because it's San Diego, but I love it because it's like a minimalist kind of situation. It's just enough for my kid and I and like we're, we have everything we need there, but 
but I needed a place to work. So I have an office. So like, yeah, if everything came crashing, maybe I couldn't afford this office anymore. Maybe I'd have to downsize. Maybe I don't, I'm not going to be able to get a newer car, you know, that doesn't have 230,000 miles in a year or two, but we'd be fine. You know, worst case scenario, I have family, I have friends that love me and, and realizing that like having all that with, you know, already makes you the richest person in the world. So, um, yeah, that was kind of what I just came to terms with and, and, and I came out smiling and happy and with the one and only tattoo and pale blue dot, um, and I, I definitely think it was a, a worthy adventure. So, yeah, it's interesting when you showed me the pale blue dot and, uh, and I actually need to look that up because I haven't heard that term I'm gonna, before. Okay. And, I'm gonna, I can, as soon as I say his name, you might hold on pale. Cause I know there's so many people who have the semicolon as a sign. Carl of, Sagan. Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan. Do you remember Carl Sagan from like the seventies and eighties? Was he a, a therapist? Who is this no, guy? he was he was like an astrophysicist that was helping with NASA. Um, he did, but he wrote a book called Pale Blue Dot, A Vision of the Human Future in Space. And the Pale Blue Dot comes from there was two um, two satellites we sent out. And I forget what year that we sent them, but they were like deep space satellites. They're called Pioneer. And he created for NASA, he created this plaque, which I have at home. I had a friend of mine needle pointed on this custom beautiful little needlepoint. And it shows our location in the universe, what we look like as humans and our location in our solar system. And he put that on a gold plate on the Pioneer and they sent it into space. They also put a record made of gold that had sounds of all different languages and animal noises from earth. And they sent it out thinking like, this is gonna go forever an alien life form may find it someday if it's out there. And um, so that was the pioneer. But but one of the last things they did was they had, he said, and he was the one that had the idea. He was like, hey, before it leaves, it was like passing one of the distant planets in our solar system. He's like, hey, I think it was Saturn. He was like, hey, turn it around and take one last picture of Earth. And Earth is this speck. Literally, and that's what he called, that's how he coined it. It was like a pale blue dot in space. It's tiny, this huge picture, and it's one little dot, and that's Earth. And that's the kind of thing that reminds me of like none, none of this matters in a way. Like we are this speck in the infinite blackness of the universe. <sighs> Take a breath, because this this ain't worth losing our minds over. Like everything's fine. Like, are you kidding me? We're good. Um, so that was where the term came from, a pale blue dot for me. I, I love that. You know, it's interesting because I've been reading more books <clears throat> about astro uh physics, astrophysicists, physicists, astrophysicists, but uh astrophysics. 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 Yeah. <laughs> uh about astrophysics. And yeah, that idea they showed a picture of the earth compared to the sun, and it's oh. embarrassing. Oh my oh, gosh! Oh my! It's like when or I like the next other planets. <laughs> oh yeah, like some of the other planets dwarf us. We are this tiny. It's so funny. Like, and you hear that? Like astronauts talk about it all the time. Like guys that go to the, the space station or gals that go to the space station talk about when they come home, they're different. 
because they've seen this perspective that's like, what are you people arguing about? Do you realize? Like they look down and like, there's no line on the ground. There's no, there's just, this is, we're all this, we're all that, we're a bunch of ants on one ball, on a soccer ball. We're just a bunch of ants. Like, what are you guys doing? Feed these people, take care of those people. What are this, what are this smoke stuff? Like they, they come back and, and apparently it's like pretty life-changing for uh, an astronaut to go up and spend time away and just looking out the window the observatory window and just seeing that like it's just going by every 45 minutes the earth is rotating you know and the whole world is in their view and and it's you know zoom out i think what's it pete holmes has that great joke where he's like you know you, you know you think you're in america zoom out you're on a you know you're on a rock floating through space like zoom out like this is what are you talking about and I think that's that's something to remind yourself of. I think it's healthy to remind yourself that like you're not you're not in San Diego. You you know, I we talked earlier before the podcast and you were sharing that you have experienced two divorces and I know for a lot of people one divorce just destroys them. How did you manage and cope with the two divorces what what got you through i would say one am i through i don't know you know managing how how did it you said man how did i manage as if that's i just put a bow on that and tied that up no am i managing yeah um my first my first divorce was as weird as it sounds incredibly friendly we we just it, it, we came to the conclusion that maybe this wasn't right for us, and then we spoke to a therapist, uh, individually and as a couple, to make sure that like, are we just being lazy? Like, are we just are we just being idiots? Like, should we like let's find out? And it was interesting, and the therapist was just kind of like, you know, you know what? After she talked to both of us individually and together, she was like, you know, it kind of just sounds like you guys don't want to be married anymore. Like, and, um, and we parted on, on really good terms. Um, the second one was definitely much more complicated. I mean, we had a child together. We still interact. We still, and I, and actually I was, as far as interacting, like my, my first marriage, my first wife, she and I, we still communicate pretty regularly. I had stepdaughters, um, cause she had two daughters when we got married. I still interact with them. One of them, which is crazy to think, just graduated high school. And she just came out. I brought her out to San Diego for a week over summer to be like, hey, come see the world. Come hang out. And she spent a week with with me and she got to meet my my kiddo. And and so that's like this beautiful thing. And then now with the second one, it's it's heartbreaking. I'm lonely. I miss my person. I'm, you know, I miss having a person. There are, there are, I look at both of my ex-wives and think. There's a reason I fell in love. There's a reason. There's many reasons I should say I fell in love. There's many reasons that we got married. There are also many reasons we are no longer married. But there were some really good reasons and some really good times that we were together that we, you know, and and I missed that. And that's hard. And it's hard to think like, how am I going to do this again? Like, 
my second divorce was was just over three years ago when we finalized, I think. And now we're co-parenting. We have this beautiful almost five-year-old daughter and and we are on the mo- mostly the same page and mostly we communicate well and, and respectfully and clean, you know, but it, it's a, it's still a struggle because there's still, we both have baggage there and, and, and it's sometimes, you know, that creeps in. And then in the end, you have to realize that this isn't about us anymore. This is about this kid. And I do that because she's in the other room, but, um, you know, that's what this is all about. So the, any of the anger, any of the stuff, like, it's not, there's none of, like, none of that comes into this. This is about the kid. Um, but it is tougher. Like, you know, if you, I, I think a lot of people get divorced and they just never have to talk to their ex again. You know, like, mo- like most breakups you have, you know, when you're in high school, college, whatever, I mean, not high school, cause you were around them. So, you know, in school, but you know, as you get older, you have a relationship and it ends. Usually you don't have to talk to them twice a week. So that's a little challenging, but that's like anything with parenting. I mean, I am a much calmer, patient person because I have a a daughter, because I have a kid. And I think that actually helps me interact with, with my, with her mom and, and kind of, there's part of me. that's like, yeah, I've had two divorces and most people look at that as a failure, but I don't know. I've been more confident in what I want. I've been more, I should say, I've never been more confident in what I think I want in a partner. I've never been more confident in my ability to be a good partner because I have failed. I have failed other people. I have failed as a partner. And, um, and I think I learned from that. I think it's, it's interesting that people are like, I'm going to meet somebody and I'm 24 and we're going to get married and it's going to be forever. It's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's rare for people just to be friends forever, you know, let alone we, we, listen, we're going to sleep in the same room every night. We're not going to get away from each other ever. Like I've been having a conversation with a buddy of mine, he and he and his wife, they've been having, they've been having trouble and they've been seeing a therapist and stuff. And he made the comment. He was like, you know, he's like, you know, how do you get 50% custody of your wife? That's what I think I need. I think I need, I think I, and I actually, it's funny because now that I've been through two marriages, there is part of me. And I've told this to friends of mine. I was like, I think couples would do so much better if at least, I'm not saying it's easy, but at least once one weekend a month, each of them get a three-day weekend where they get to go somewhere. They just, they can go to a hotel by themselves two miles away, or they can go, go to Hawaii, go to Nashville, go to, I don't give a shit, whatever you want to do, you get your, just go. You get a weekend, the next month I get a week. And it's like, no questions asked, no phone call. Like you can call in and touch base with the kids, but we're not going to bug. Like, I think one of the hardest things with marriages is people stop being people and they start being the couple. And which you are the couple, but you're a couple built of two individuals that if you lose the individual and sometimes like, sometimes, you know, you just need. 10 minutes. Well, sometimes you just need four days to go read a book and drink coffee all day in a hotel. 
nothing fa- like I, I, it, that's the thing it doesn't have to be fancy but i think there's something to that and when my friend said he's like i how do i get 50 percent custody in my life there's part of me that's like i think that's kind of brilliant i wonder how many people and this sounds weird my schedule now is 50 50 with my daughter half the time i'm a dad and the other half the time i get to be me and I think I'm a better dad because of that. Do I miss my kid? That those, you know, the, it's like every other weekend, it's like she's with her mom for five days and then she's me five days, whatever. Do I miss her every single moment? Yes. Yes, I do. But do I just get to be a person and be me? And that's like usually, I mean, I'm in this beautiful scenario where because I'm a comic and I do commercial work and whatever, like when I have my daughter, you know, like she's in, in the other room at the office, we play music. We like, I get to pretty much just be a dad, which I know is extremely lucky and fortunate on my part. Because when I don't have her, I get to be me. And I get to like, when I don't have her, I'm at this office the whole time, unless I'm like, I might fit surfing in in the morning or in the afternoon, but I'm here building up my podcast studio, recording content, editing videos from the sets the week before, da, 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 you know, I'm doing shows every, almost every single night I don't have my daughter. And there's part of me, it's like, I wonder how many couples, if they either like split their house or literally just got an apartment, just a small apartment somewhere else. And literally like took time where one of them just got to go be a person for four days. And it kind of ties into like the one week in the month. Like that's amazing. But I think that there's even more to it where if you went deeper, like if you had two successful grounded households raising the children and people are always like, oh, divorce ruins kids. Divorce. Yeah, I think ugly, mean, horrible, nasty divorces do. But I would be interested to see the numbers on. And this kind of pisses me off about divorce because as I was going through it, like I remember the first lawyer, the first lawyer I talked to when my second divorce was going to happen, this guy, I was like, you know, this is a situation I left. Da, 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 da. He's like, all right, here's the deal. It's going to be this much money. He's like, I'm telling you right now, she's going to try to get you to hit her. She's going to try to get you to do this. She's going to da, 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 da. If that happens, it's going to be this much money. They're going to do this. We're going to do that. I need to know right now. Has she ever done this? Has she ever done this? Has she ever? And he was like, he was just ammoing up to attack. And I'm and part of me was like, I immediately was like, I I sat through it, I listened to it, and I was like, all right, cool, I'll call you. Never call him again. I'm that's not this is the mother of my kid. Like, what are you talking about? Like, all I want is thrive for her. All I want is success. She's an amazing human being that I I was still am in love with. Of course, like you don't stop loving. The love is there, all the other stuff's there, but the love is there. I want nothing but the best for her because that's what's best for my kid. And it pisses me off when people are like, and I have, I have acquaintances and stuff that are going through divorces where like one of them just like uses the kid against them, uses the kid for money, you know, like talks shit about them. Sorry. Talks, you know, poorly about them when to the kids and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is your teammate. Yes. You're in two different buildings now, but you're a team. There's kid, there's a, there's players here that need to be successful. And so I think the attitude towards divorce should change, needs to change, because it's like, yeah, maybe we can't live in the same building anymore. But that doesn't mean we can't be two thriving, you know, individuals that raise a great kid. 
And I think, you know, I think part of that, like I said, is like having the time to be a person. I think one makes you a more patient and better parent. And it makes you more patient and better at communicating with the ex. Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's merit into, you know, 50% uh, custody of your, of your wife or your husband. Yeah, because the things that you were doing to feed yourself, nourish yourself, to feel accomplished and um, confident, you know, right. all those things that were attractive to your significant Yeah, number, probably the reason that person let it fell go. in love with you. Yeah, because now we're a team. And it's like, and, I, and I, I, have, I have a friend where literally he met this gal and they got along great and they were good. And, but like, he loved to sail. He loved to fly. He loved to camp. He loved to, do, you know, and at first she thought, and I, I've run into this too. At first she thought, oh, that's so cool. You do these things. And I, that was probably actually one of the issues with my first wife is that like, it was the same, actually almost the same list. It was like, I, I had my pilot's license. I had a sailboat, you know, and that's what I did in my spare time when I wasn't running this construction company with my uncle. Like I was sailing every weekend I could. And I was going for an airplane ride twice a week because that was my happy place. And and then I remember a little while into the the marriage, she was like, well, why do you do that so much? I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't do it enough. Like, what do you mean so much? Like I've cut back, like I miss it. And she said, well, you know, why don't, why don't we do what I want to do? I'm like, what do you want to do? Well, I want to do this. And I, want to do I was like, cool. I don't personally totally enjoy that. Um, but if you want to do that, I support that. And what do you need for me to do to help you do that? And sometimes maybe I'll come do that. But it's not like I don't I don't have time for a new hobby that I'm not that interested in. I, I have these hobbies that I already don't do enough. But like you want a kayak? Let's get you a kayak. Like I love it. Go kayak. It's not for me. But do you, you know, and I think it's weird. And like the, my friend that I mentioned too, like she in the beginning was like, oh, that's so cool. You do these things. And now he doesn't do any of those things, any of them, because it's too cold to go skiing. It's, you know, camping, there's bugs. So, James, you shared earlier about when you were 25 that your dad passed away from cancer. How did you work your way through that grieving process or have you? I don't think so. I think I think I shouldn't say I didn't then. I'm 40 now. Um, he it happened so kind of tragically and so fast. Uh, he was diagnosed and then gone a month and a half later. Like it was just like, it just happened. And it was horrible the whole time. And I don't think, I think it took me years to really start to even get through that. I think it was like, I don't know. I mean, I, What does it mean to be through it? I guess is a quite you know to get through that. I, I don't know. I mean, I miss him all the time. He, there are so many things that I think I'm doing now and that I that I've done since he's passed that that I'm like, oh, he would have loved this. He, you know, like he'll never meet my daughter. He'll ne you know, he never saw he never saw me do comedy. He never saw me in a commercial. But you know, he he never really saw me take the skills that I had 
that were the that were the the things that he enjoyed so much of me as a kid. I used to perform for him all the time. I would do, I would recite comedy albums to him all the time at like inappropriate times to make him laugh because I knew it would. Like it was it was really funny to think back now how much of my little like my performance in the comedy and stuff I shared with him as a kid, but he never saw that like come into what it is. Um, so I, I don't know what it means to like work through that. I don't, I, I, I miss him. I've been fortunate enough. I've had, this sounds weird. I've had a couple conversations with him in dreams and I don't, I don't, it's one of those things where like I've woken up and called my brother and been like, dude, I just talked to dad. And one of them was, I've had, I think it's happened three times total. One of them was so vivid. Uh, I was at a place in the Keys where we, where I grew up and that we had always, we had been there a bunch as a family, uh, this airport thing. And there were a group of people. And as the people cleared, like there was some event happening as the people cleared, my dad was standing there with, which was funny because it was so my dad, he was standing there in his Birkenstocks shorts and his shirt off, but over his shoulder which was common for him if he was doing something and getting sweaty, the shirt would be off and it'd just be over his shoulder. And he was not like a fit guy. Like he was, he was a guy that struggled with weight his whole life. He, but he was like, there's my dad, like clear as day. And I remember in the dream, him telling me that he was proud of me and he was excited for me and that he thought that what I was doing was really, really great. And, uh, and that, that meant a lot like that. I, like I said, I woke up and called my brother and was like, I talked to dad. He's doing great. Like he's proud of me. Like it was beautiful. Like as far as I'm concerned, that was real because it felt it. And we hugged. And we, and, and like, I told him, like, we, I think we actually said something like, like we'd talk later and then the dream ended. And, and, and I saw that was when, I think that was like the second time it ever happened. And it's happened since then. And it feels like in the dreams that like we're picking up that same conversation again. Um, so I think, you know, that definitely helped, but I, I don't know what getting through it means. I, I, I carry him with me all the time. I catch myself being him. The amount, like I caught myself, somebody took a picture of me the other day and I was doing this. And, and I have a picture at home that I took of my mom and dad and my dad is doing this. And it was the same thing. I was leaning into somebody that was here and th- taking a picture with them. And the picture I have at home is my dad like this, leaning into my mom. And I'm, I catch myself with my daughter in that. Like, oh, I'm him. He's here. I'm For here. the listeners out there, uh, James is placing oh. <laughs> his chin on his hand. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah, just leaning on my hand. So, I, you know, I, I don't know what it means to be through it. But I feel like that's one where he's just here with me. He's he's a part of it because he, you know, I'm part of him. Um, but I get I get I get super sad about that pretty regularly. Just like little little moments of like, ah, if he could see what I'm doing, I'd love to take him sailing now. Oh, he'd love San Diego. You know, he'd love his his granddaughter. Those moments. And then I remind myself that like we're good and this is great and like just keep living because he's he's around. He's here. Sure. I hear you saying my dad never saw me do this. My dad never saw yeah. my daughter. He never saw me perform. 
being seen seems to be a driving motivator for you. Did you feel seen as a kid? And I'm going to wrap this in the context of, and we don't have to discuss this if you're not comfortable, but you shared with me that you had been molested as a kid. Did you feel seen as a kid? So I was the third son. I was the youngest of three boys, which um, meant, I think one, that gave me the superpower, if you will, that, that I have now in the sense of like my my comedic timing and my way with words. I realized at a young age that I had a very, I had a a, a skill of saying the most inappropriate thing at the exact right moment to not get in trouble because they it's hard to be in trouble when they're laughing. And I think third kid stuff is, is very much like nobody, when you're the third, nobody cares about your really like, I mean, you're, you're cared for, but nobody cares about what you want. Nobody cares about your need. Like nobody's asking like, what do you need? How are you? They're just like, you got food, you got the, you're good. You're good. Go play with your brothers. And I don't blame them for that. But I think very much like if I needed to get a word in edgewise, I had to know the exact, I had to have good time. I had to say it very concisely. If I needed to get their attention, I had to do it in an entertaining manner. I was always the kid dancing and moving. There's not a regular picture of me as a kid under the age of eight. Cause I'm just like, ah, look at me. Like somebody look at me. I'm over here. Don't I make you laugh? Um, and so I think that is where that came from. I don't know if I didn't feel seen. I guess not. Cause I know I've had conversations like with my mom. I know uh, as an adult, I realized like I get overstimulated and I just need like, I need to go take a lap. And that goes for like, you know, comedy shows are great, but afterwards, like I kind of need to go be alone. Like, you know, I was just the center of attention for 200 people, which is my goal. And we did a great job and it was a good show maybe or bad show, whatever. But like, I need after that, I need some detox from that. Um, But I remember asking my mom one time, I was like, hey, mom, did you ever notice that like sometimes I would just like get a little over just a little too much and I just go kind of take off on my own and like isolate for a little while? And she was like, you didn't do that. And I was like, that's I didn't ask you whether I did it. I asked you whether you noticed, which means you didn't. You had no idea that I would literally disappear from the family for like an hour or whatever. And just to go be by myself somewhere. And that was interesting. That not only, it was interesting because it was very telling about her too. It was like, not only didn't she notice then, but she really wasn't listening now. Because the question wasn't, did I? It was, did you notice? And it, she got both of the, both answers wrong, if that, if that makes sense. So that was interesting. And, and I also look back at my parents and I'm like, they raised three kids. My mom has a calendar from our childhood and I look at it and every single day has like five things on it. My dad was running a small business. My mom was a secretary for it. My dad was on like the board of directors for the hospital and the bank. My mom was on like some board of directors for like family health services in our town, uh, PTA stuff. We all played soccer, baseball, like it was crazy. It was chaos. The fact that any of it got done blows my mind. While also, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. You, you weren't really paying attention. You were like, yeah, go play. You're good. You got like, you're, 
you're fine. Go play. Like they were doing, as my mom puts it, the best they can, which is fine. It, you know, it's fine. I'm here now. Am I realizing there's a lot of stuff from my childhood that like, oh, they could have done that better? Yeah, they could have. They could have. But that's my job now. My job. And I think that's the beauty of mental health is because now it's such on the forefront. Like we're all we're all okay with it now, like in the sense like we're all therapy, trauma. We know it's real. Right. We know that we all have baggage. You know, it used to just be suck it up you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get back to work, get the job done. And now we're like, yeah, yeah, that's why, you know, um, maybe that's not the best philosophy because we're losing um, a veteran every 19 minutes or something, you know? Maybe we should stop saying suck it up to people and we should be like, hey, what do you need to thrive? You know, not get out there and force yourself to thrive. No, how about what are you working with? What's, what's holding you back? How can we do that? And I look at that as like my generation raising a kid. And I, I remember asked, I asked my mom this, you know, how many parenting books did you read when you were raising us? And she was like, what are you talking about? I was like, like parenting books, like, you know, which I get psychology wasn't even a thing to like the 70s, 78 or something. Like was the first time it really was like a thing. So they didn't have it. But we do. We know now to the point where I remember something was happening with my daughter when my mom was visiting and she uh, she I handled it with my kid. And I probably, I, you know, and I'm sure I could have handled it better. But in the moment, I'm still learning and whatever. And I handled it. My kid went off and everything was fine. And my mom was like, you know, a little advice, blah, 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 blah. And I just looked at her. And I said, I love you. But just so you know, um, everything you know about parenting and all of your comments are null and void because you knew nothing we like we know more now we know better now and i appreciate it and thank you for doing the best you could but we you know we i've read a dozen books on being a parent now i've read books on child psychology i i have infinitely more information at my disposal than you did So, you know, no, you don't have to hit a kid, even when they're really being naughty. No, you don't. You know, so that was that was interesting. And I think, like I said, that's my job is to like now I'm a better version of them. And my job is to make her a better version than I am and to be more aware and more like we we got into it this morning. We've been dealing with um, she's she's almost five and she gets angry you know, feelings, they happen, they start, they finish, they pop up and you should acknowledge them and work with that. And I've told her, and she's kind of gone through this phase where she gets angry and she'll push me. She won't like hit, hit, but she'll hit and she'll just be angry at me. And it happened this morning. And I remember I was just like, Hey, listen, like you're allowed to be angry. Anger is going to happen. It's going to come. You're going to feel it. Acknowledge it. Say I'm angry. Don't yell. You don't need to yell and you don't need to hit. I said, but you can look me in the face and say, daddy, I'm angry. I'm so angry at you. I want that thing and you're not letting me have it. And that makes me angry. That's totally fine. And we can discuss that. I was like, but we don't, you know, we don't hit. We don't do that. And that's something my parents wouldn't have done that. I just would have been hit. Oh my God. I would have been angry and I would have not known what to do with it. And I would have lashed out and however I did. And then I would have gotten a, you know, depending on what I did in retaliation, whether it was to my brother or whatever, I would have gotten smacked or hit. 
you know. What's something that you learned from the parenting books that you are incorporating besides the, you know, sharing your emotion, letting me know how you feel? What what else has stood out to you? They're a full person. I think it's weird that people look at kids as like, you're a kid. You're a kid. You don't know anything. You have no opinion. You have a, no, no, no. They're a full person. A five-year-old is feeling and experiencing everything I am at age 40. She's walking through life, bumping into the universe with a smaller toolbox, but having all the experience. And I think that's probably one of the biggest, and it kind of falls whether it's the 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 emotions, the tools to deal with the emotions, the tools to deal with people or certain situations and stuff. And that's probably the biggest one is like, once I realized like, oh, like, no, they're fully on. They are totally here. That computer is processing all the same data mine is. And if anything, it's doing it in a raw form. It hasn't built the structures. It's just taking it in as raw data with no real experience to manage that information. Um, and which puts me as a parent in a beautiful position to help manage or help give her the tools and the software to manage that data as it comes in and how to process. It. And I, and I think, yeah, so I want to say probably like one of the biggest was that is like, they're a fully formed human. Like, yes, the brain's still growing. Yes. They're still maturing and stuff, but the brain is fully operational. And and I think that's a different way than people looked at it ever before. Where they were just like, you're a kid. You, we talked earlier about you having suicidal thoughts. Talk to me more about that. And what was a- around that? I think I, I had, I've had dark moments my whole life. Um, I did a decent amount of therapy when I was in college. Um, because I was depressed. I didn't, I think I, I don't think I should have gone to college. I think that was part of it, but I had, I I had dark moments even as a younger kid. Like I remember being seven, eight years old and I, and I, I don't know if this falls into that, but just, and maybe this was because I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel, you know, I was just like another kid in the house. And that, that makes it sound like my parents, I had a great relationship with my parents. I could talk my entire life. We could talk to our parents about anything. Um, I could ask, I could talk, I was, it was an open door policy. I loved my parents. I was affectionate with my parents. They were supportive. My parents told me they loved me. They supported the things I wanted to do, but I still now look back and realize like, but I wasn't really seen like you said, you know, and I think that kind of came into it because I remember having the thoughts of like, well, they'd be sorry if I just rode my bike into the street or would they, that was another thing is the like, well, who would care? Who would care if I did that, you know? Um, and then as I got older, just, you know, high school was, high school was great. And that's, I think that's the thing is like, I realize now that it doesn't matter how good things are or how much fun you're having and, and, and how happy people think you are. Cause that's something I think I definitely learned too, is that I've been, I've said it before where like, I feel like I've been performing my entire life. I feel like I've been waiting for the light for 35 years. Like, cause 
I didn't realize one, my own self-worth. And I, 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 like you said, I, being seen was so important to me because that was a validation that I didn't feel like I was getting or something like, you know, I, I, and so, yeah, whether it was with friends, with adults, with parents, with family members, you know, it was like, I was always performing because I thought the only value I had was being funny. And that's what, cause that's when I got attention. You, you talked about reading books and mm-hmm. about parenting. Was there a book that you read that kind of really spoke to you that maybe I would even say that you've reread besides technical books, you know, for the craft. Yeah. Um, as far as parenting or just in general, any book in general. This is where I'm bad. This is like, if I'm not standing in front of my bookshelf, I can't tell you, I don't know. Um, I can't think of one. I'm sorry. Yeah. Or is there um, a book the that you're is there a book that you're hoping your daughter would read at some point? Is weird that Harry Potter? Harry Potter's the reason why I read. It was a weird moment for me. Like I grew up reading, I just didn't read. I just didn't I, I had a thing with my eyes that made reading kind of a struggle. Um I could read fine, like the I could read the words and stuff. Um, but it was a it was a physical thing with muscles in my eyes that would fatigue. But I didn't really read until I was in college. And and it was Harry Potter that did it. But I think, um, yeah, like once I read, a friend of mine had him. And he was like, the, the cliff notes of this is, I, I got home from seeing the second movie when I was in college. And my friend was like, oh, you should read the books. They're better. And I was like, not going to happen. I, I didn't read for school, let alone for fun. And he was like, oh, I got the books. Here, here's the third one. Just start with that one. Go. I picked that book and he challenged. I was like, I'm not going to read it. He's like, dude, here's the challenge. My mom gave it to me and I grew up with this kid. I knew his mom. And I tra- like the fact that she did this to him. I was like, all right, I'll do it. Shelly's challenge. And uh, it was like, read 30 pages. If you can put it down, put it down. Fine. I finished the third Harry Potter book in like four days, which I had never read anything that. Hold on. I got to cut you off here. Who starts with the third book? How well, dare I had you? just seen. I had just seen the second movie, though. So he was like, so you, that's why he was like, you just, I literally had just come home from the second movie. He's like, you've seen the first two start with the third book. Like that's you'll, you'll, you, cause now you're up to, you're right up to here. It'll keep going. That's what he thought, which, which worked out. But, and to, to, just to clarify, I have read the entire series four and a half times. So, cause every year when the next book would come out, when the next book was coming out after, cause I, I read the third one in four days, he had the fourth one. I read that within a week. And again, this is the most reading I had ever consistently done in my life. And I blame that on, or I caused that. I, 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 the reason for that is like, I I've always been, a, it sounds weird. I've always been a creative in some sense. Like I've always, I did theater. I used to draw. I used to write some as a kid that, um, and I just think the creativeness of those stories is second to none. I mean, it's amazing. It's it's the what beautiful stories they are of children coming of age in a dangerous and in magical world. And like people don't think like, oh, those are kids' books. I'm like, um, the fourth book, people are dying. 
Like kids are murdered in the, like, what are you talking about? Murdered children? Like the book opens with a murder. The fourth book opens with a murder. The, the caretaker of the house and ends with Cedric Diggory just getting toasted after the Triwizard Cup. Like this is not, this is real. Um, but then every year, like all of a sudden, like six months later, the next book was coming out. And I was like, well, and I remember I pre-ordered it. And then I start, and I, like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, and I read all four again, read the fifth book a year later, read all five again, read the sixth book a year later. And I did that for each book. And so I've read it a ton. And I just think because of, like I said, it's such a magical situation. It's such a, a eye-opening to like everything is possible. If you, if you can think it, you can write it down. And now you look at the movies of everything and just the stuff. It's amazing and it's all possible. If you write it, it's real on paper, if that makes sense. And so I, I, based on that, I would love for her, and I've kind of started, she's way too young, but I like got the books on tape and I was like, we'll listen in the car, see if she's into it. She's too young. Um, but I look forward to that because I think it's just such an eye-opening thing of like, the world is magical. Like, yes, this is made up, but you can believe kind of like, you know, like Santa Claus. It's way more fun when you believe in the magic. I love it. The world is magical and a pale blue dot. Yeah. Uh, James Schrader, is there is there <laughs> any part of your journey that we haven't discussed that you think would be of value for someone who's struggling with uh, suicidal thoughts? You, sure. You are not the person they said you are. It took me a long time to realize, and it took some interaction with family. There was one family member. There was just a moment. This will this will kind of make sense. As an adult, I was around this person and we were, they were discussing something. I think it had to do with politics. And I said my opinion. And I literally had this family member look at me and go, you don't think that. This is what you think. And I, in a minute, go. Go. I love you. Go. Later. Hold on, James, James is it. directing that to his daughter. Yes, my daughter. My daughter is like across. I have a window across from my desk right here into the next room. Daisy, Daisy, I need ten more minutes, okay? Ten minutes, and then we'll do it all. Ten hundred minutes, then go. So, it was just a strange moment that, as an adult, this person looked at my face and was like, "You don't think that? That's not. You don't think that?" And I was like, "Oh my god." Is I'm never not five years old. Like, that's how it felt. It felt like when I get around, and something I've learned about my family, when I get around all of them, when I get around everybody, I'm five. No one gives a shit. I don't have an opinion. It's very strange. And I'm like, I'm 40 years old. I've been paying taxes for 22 years. Like, what are you talking about? I can't, I, this is my opinion. And you're telling me it's not my, like, it was so strange. And that just shined the light on the fact that, like, you are not, the person they told you you are the person that as you grew up everyone else was placing all those bricks to build the structure and the walls of who you were and it took me till i was probably 26 27 somewhere in there to realize like i didn't put that brick here you know this one, i didn't put that here like you know what Ugh. i didn't build these walls 
I am not, I don't have to fit into the box they created and told me I was since I was born. And that's probably the biggest thing I would, I would tell anybody is like, you look at the, the, look at the things around you that, that you think are who you are and then decide whether you put that there or someone else. Did. Because I think most people don't do that and they fall in line and they think this is who everyone expects. And that's the other reason, like travel, get away from your hometown. Yes, you can love everybody that you grew up with in your family. And I'm not saying you don't do that, but I am saying leave all the people behind for a while and go figure out who you are. Go bump into other people that do other things and think other things and eat other foods and practice different traditions and see if the stuff you did is any less silly than maybe what you think other people do. So that's the biggest one. I think, I think everyone is just crammed into their, their box by everyone else. And then they live their whole life in that box when that's not your box. You didn't build it and you're allowed to. So that's my take. That's powerful because it, it brings to mind. Will Smith always shares this anecdote from his childhood of how his dad made him build a brick wall, the brick wall by brick. And as yeah. you're sharing, I'm realizing Will Smith has spent probably most of his life. And I, and I think it culminated in that Will Smith slap or that Chris Rock slap where yeah. he spent his whole career in life building someone else's wall. And he finally felt the weight of that, the responsibility of that. Um, you know, usually my last question is, you know, I always imagine someone listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Uh, before you kill yourself, what would you say to them? But I feel like you answered that unless there's something else you want to add to that. Sure. And it's kind of the same thing I said to my daughter this morning while laying in bed while she was kicking me because I wasn't moving fast enough. Every emotion comes and goes. Every emotion shows up. Every feeling, whether it's happiness, sadness, regret, anxiety, they start, they finish. And having being somebody that has been in moments that were super low where I've never like planned my suicide, but like it, I've been driving, you know, and that's as recent. It's funny. I had a kid and it stopped. And I was like, cause I can't, that's selfish. I got to take care of this thing. I can't leave. I'm stuck here. Um, but before that, I mean, there'd be times when like things were good, but I'd be driving my car and I'd see, you know, you're driving 75 miles an hour down the interstate. And then you go under a bridge overpass and you see that, that big, beautiful cement column. And you're like, man, how peaceful does that look? Does that make sense? Just a little, and it's all peaceful. It's all just done. And so I, I just say to some, like, if you're in that moment, like it will pass. It's not the end. And the truth is you're worth it. Like you, you can, you're worth it to not end it. Because no matter how bad it is, you can change. You can, you know, it's just like being on the sailboat. You can, you can't, you can't control the wind. This is so cliche. You can't control the wind, so you can't adjust the sails. So, you know, the things that are happening around you, you are in control of how you react. And whatever is, is brewing up inside you will pass. And while it's brewing up, acknowledge it. Look at it. Oh, my gosh. 
I'm very sad. Oh my gosh, I feel hurt. I don't feel seen. I feel abused. I feel neglected. Recognize those things. And I would say reach out to somebody. I 100% believe in therapy. I love it. Um, I actually hate that I haven't been, but I, I think therapy is one of those things where you should do it a lot when you need it. It's like your car. When your car needs the oil change, you get the oil change. When your car needs a, you know, but you get the oil change every now and then, you know, your car needs a tune up, even when things are going fine. But when things are bad, you take it into the shop, you get the brakes done, you need new struts, you need to do this, you need tires, you need to get them rotated, you need to get them balanced. You need, there's a lot of work to do sometimes. And it's worth doing it because it keeps you moving forward in that car. So reach out, find someone, talk to someone, get, get help. And it sounds weird. It sounds like negative to say, get help. You're not broken. You just need a tune-up as most things do. Everything needs maintenance um, in our world. And that includes you. So don't, uh, don't trash the car. Just get a tune-up. Because you'd be surprised how much farther that car can go and where it can take you if you get a little help, you know, getting it running right or better. Because there is no right. We're all different. We're all broken in our own little ways. And we have the character and the life experience and the scars and the scrapes and the bumps and the dents. And, uh, you know, we're all in we're all in our own version of our car. <laughs> I think that made sense. I don't know. It absolutely made sense. We're all in our own version of our own car. James Schrader, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you calling to get help, for you calling the 988 or 1-800-273-TALK or any of the other international phone numbers that are listed, whether you are in India or Australia or England. I have some friends in Scotland right now, if you're up there in Scotland. In Alaska, my people out there in Alaska, there, I mean, that's part of the States, but uh, wherever you are in the world, Toronto, uh, Brazil, I just met a couple from Brazil, wherever you are in the world, there are phone numbers for you to call, chat, text, email. Um, you can go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo and get that 10% off your first month. Uh, let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, James. Thank you for having me. This was, uh, I enjoyed it.